0: Welcome to WMFA, a podcast where writers talk writing. I'm Courtney Ballastier, and this week I'm talking with Erica Dawson. Erica is the author of When Rap Spoke Straight to God, a book-length poem out September 18th from Tin House Books, as well as the collections The Small Blades Hurt and Big-Eyed Afraid. Her work has appeared in three editions of Best American Poetry, The Believer, Virginia Quarterly Review, and other journals and anthologies. She's an associate professor of English and writing at University of Tampa, where she directs the low-residency MFA program. When Rap spoke straight to God is an act of defiance, imagination, and celebration, an unflinching and original exploration of blackness, womanhood, black womanhood, and the power that comes from women claiming their narratives. Moving from the Bible to Lil' Kim, the past to the present, Erica starts with traditional poetic forms and stretches against them. Here, we talk about the freedom that she derives from poetic constraints and from the security of writing from home often with this project, from bed. We also talk about shedding the stories we're told and stripping away the artist's illusion of control over her work until she is fully uncensored, a process that Erica thought she had completed until she started writing this book.
1: I mean, the more people try to silence you and other you, you start to crack under that pressure and you start to silence yourself, I think, sometimes. And and I was feeling, I was feeling vulnerable in a way that I had never really allowed myself to feel. Uh, I was always, you know, no, I'm strong, I'm the strong black woman, and I was like, you know what? I'm not actually feeling strong right now. And and I think really coming to acknowledge that that lack of agency that I was feeling was that moment where it was like a challenge, it's like okay, I actually do have something to say. There's strength somewhere in here. There's agency and power in here. And how how can I find a way to express that?
0: It's kind of so epic seeming to me. I don't know if it feels epic in scope to you, but it, it feels kind of so huge to me that I would actually love to just start by talking about how it came to be and kind of maybe when you realized that everything was together as one long, it's built as just like a single poem, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Were you aware from the beginning that that's what you were doing? I was definitely not aware in the
1: beginning. <laughs> I was, I was sort of in that space where after you finish one book, you're just kind of lost, and it's like, you know, I have no idea what to do next. So. I was just writing, you know, like small individual poems and kind of testing them out and seeing what I was interested in. And um, sort of the origin story is that I was at the Disquiet Literary Program in Lisbon in, let's see, July 2015. Uh, And I did a faculty reading and I read this poem that was called Black Woman. And after my reading, Eileen Miles was sitting on the floor, like, in front of the front row. She raises her hand, and I'm like, oh, my God, Eileen Miles (laughs) is about to say something.
0: You're like, I just managed to make it through the reading knowing that you were sitting on the floor in front of me. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, So she raises her hand, and I'm like, yeah, Eileen. And and she says... she says I really enjoyed your poems and I'm like yeah score. Yeah. Uh and then she's like but it seems like it seems like they're just unfinished like you have something more to say. Um and I was I was you know I was like okay maybe it wasn't time to bring that up but sure I'll take I leave it Miles uh, advice. So I went back and I started thinking about that poem Black Woman and sort of how I got to the place where I was writing that poem and where I could go from there. And that was how the book started. Okay. And Black Woman is that sort of section, almost smack in the middle of the book, that says we have a chance to rectify Black women. Um, there's a the moment about smoking the Swishers and the American Girl doll. And uh, so I started working from there. I was like, OK, this is that note that I want to hit in the middle of this like longer, something that was bigger in scope, this longer piece. Um, how can I start and write my way up to that, and then take that even further um, to a different place where I would expect to go? And so from there, I just like decided that was page like twenty eight, and I had to get to twenty eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's it it started that way. Um, really, just the the impetus of of that one poem, and then Eileen saying that that she felt I had so much more to say, and I was like, you know what, I I actually do have a lot
0: yeah I wanted to I wanted to ask you about hearing that because it is funny how sometimes I think we need to be told something like that or like maybe like there's a you know there's maybe some resonance when you hear it but it takes you a while to still digest and be like what else do I have to say and so much of it just comes out in the act of writing I wondered how you sort of process that in real time
1: yeah, it well in real time, in the moment after she said it, um, I was I didn't know what to think. Um, I was just sort of in shock that we were actually having a conversation, let alone a conversation in front of like 80 other people. Um but I I sort of sat with it for the next couple of days and and was just like, you know, this this woman that I really respect, this writer that I really respect is is sensing the fact that that there might be something, you know, further underneath the surface, somewhere else than I need to go. And, and that was, that was the push that I needed. That was sort of the, the, the beginning of the confidence, I guess, that I needed to, to push myself further and really spend some time thinking about, you know, what experiences and thoughts got me to the point of writing that particular poem. And then it, I just, you know, to use the cliche opened up the, the floodgates and, uh, was pretty overwhelmed by all the stuff I started thinking about. And, um, when I'm overwhelmed, that's when I do my best writing. So I just started from there.
0: I love that idea. Yeah. And I also, it sounds incredibly comforting to me to to have that page 28 and think okay I just need to get to that like that seems that seems uh like something about my brain is more pleased about that than the inverse where it's like I have the be- I have page 1 and I need to get to wherever the hell I'm going. Oh
1: yeah. I mean um I wouldn't even know. <laughs> that Just hearing you say that made me wildly uncomfortable. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't I couldn't I couldn't do it like that. I couldn't just um yeah, I couldn't just start from the beginning and be like, okay, well, let's just make something. I would have just completely, you know, cracked underneath that pressure. Right. Um, so it was good to have like a, a like a like a goal in mind, but then know that I I got to go sort of past that goal in a way. It was it was really really helpful.
0: Yeah, yeah. And what um, I would love to hear you talk about, you know. The title, of course, when rap spoke straight to God, and and there are so many references, biblical and pop cultural and musical references, and all kinds of references, astronomical references, um, throughout. <laughs> um, what does that conversation mean to you? Like, what is that? What does that dialogue represent for you? Well, I think, I think,
1: I don't know. I I sort of got to this place where. You know, I'd been living in the South, you know, the you know the real South, uh, for about five five and a half years, and and was really just kind of horrified by the place that I was living in. You know, Tampa sort of purports itself as a liberal town with all the universities here and everything, and forward thinking, and all of that stuff. But it's it's pretty backwards around here. Um, and I was thinking about all of the stuff that was going on in Florida and then around the country. And was just like, you know, I grew up believing in this God that was support that was supposed to take care of us and protect us and guide us. And it seemed like we had just moved into these times where we were floating aimlessly on this really like rough ocean. How how did we get here? Uh, And I just started thinking about that biblical narrative that I had been taught and how it just completely failed me. And then um, just started to think of the ways that that narrative sort of worked with other narratives that I've heard, you know, and then I sort of focused on on rap music and the stories that those artists have told me. And then somehow I woke up one day and they just started talking to each other. Yeah. I I sadly can't, like, pin down a certain moment or a thought, but... I started thinking about, again, that that sort of biblical narrative and, and this idea of this like masculine God that was this father figure that was supposed to take care of us. And, and then started thinking, well, what about all the women, you know, in exactly. the Bible? Where, where are their voices? And then I guess thinking about, you know, trying to find a voice, then looking to the voices that I found that were really powerful started to inspire me. And that those powerful voices came from you know, for me come from rap music. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a better explanation.
0: No, no, that's great. Yeah. Cause I was, I was thinking as you were saying that, I'm glad you brought that up that like those narratives, the biblical narratives of course have always failed women.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I, I, it was insane to me that I never really even recognized it.
0: Oh, say, I mean, I grew up Catholic and it was, it took a very long time for me to be like, Oh no, th- this, th- this church doesn't want me here.
1: Oh, yeah. And and not only does it not want you there, but it's just constantly trying to shut it, shut you down mm-hmm. um, with the rules and gender roles that they're prescribing. And I think I needed to get, I mean, in some ways, kind of like a literary background under my belt. I started realizing that... Like, all the female characters in the Bible that I could think about were like just plot devices. Mm. You know, we need, we need Delilah to see how powerful Samson is. You know, we need Mary Magdalene to understand what a kind-hearted person Jesus was. And it was like, these, these women weren't really given any kind of real substance. And I was like, screw that. It's time for them to say something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Were you feeling, um, I mean, maybe not in the moment, but just kind of when you reflect on it now, um, kind of in the place in the world that we were in and that we are in and you were in, you know, geographically, did you feel kind of like a lack of agency for yourself?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, I mean, the more people try to silence you and other you, you, you start to, you start to crack under that pressure and you start to silence yourself, I think sometimes. And, and I was feeling, I was feeling vulnerable in a way that I had never really allowed myself to feel. Uh, I was always, you know, no, I'm strong. I'm the strong black woman. And I was like, you know what? I'm not actually feeling strong right now. And And I think really coming to acknowledge that that lack of agency that I was feeling was, you know, like sort of that moment with Eileen Miles. It was that moment where it was like a challenge, like, okay, I actually do have something to say. There's strength somewhere in here. There's agency and power in here. And how how can I find a way to express that?
0: I love, I love that this, the nature of this book requires a special thanks to the artists and apostles. I just love that together. <laughs> um, but I mean, you've got these like really phenomenal women, you know, it's like Lil' Kim and Lauren Hill. And like, do you, um, What was it like kind of engaging with those ideas, of the ideas of those women and contrasting that with the, the female narratives that you had grown up with in the Bible?
1: Well, it was it. It started to be a lot of fun, honestly. Yeah, you know, spending like copious amounts of time after work in the middle of the night. Um, you know, listening listening to female rappers and you know, thinking of my favorite songs from back in the '90s and and all that stuff and and thinking about, you know, like this is little Kim, right? And she's coming out the gate and she's hardcore and she's not, you know, she's not messing around. And I was like, well, what, you know, like what if Martha came out of the gate like that? What if she wasn't messing around? If she had a track underneath her, what would she say? And, and I, you know, was engaging, I think with the strength. I don't want strength. I want something even bigger than that. The, the verb, if you will, of these, of these female rappers and and using them as an inspiration and sort of a a model for what I want those female characters in the Bible to be able to say. You know, like I wish I could like really like crack open the book and and, like slide in these new these new voices for these women because um you know the fact that young girls like us who grow up in the church uh don't have these female voices to depend on. I think we're really, you know, not playing with a full deck in a lot of ways. When we, when we learn that kind of, you know, sort of gender system, it's, it's problematic, but it was, it was really fun to try to put the two sets of voices together. Those, the rap artists and then the, the female characters, of the Bible who just didn't want to shut up anymore. Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They were tired of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love, um, the pe- it's not on- this is just on page two. It's like right from the get go, but uh, about the Ten Commandments. Um, and you say, I heard do do work, daughter, wife, his ass off. It's just like, yeah, that's the reduction.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much what I took away from like eighteen years of going to church every weekend.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: it, it, you know, it's it's like don't don't do anything for yourself. You know, your, your wife and mother and daughter, that's, that's what you are. And then, you know, you're, you're there for sex and, and procreation and and that's all they're telling you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was really fun. Cause I just sort of played a game kind of with the, with the Bible, a lot of those nights when I was working and I just started doing, you know, erasure and just playing around with what words, you know, actually appeared on the page. I'm doing this in an actual Bible. My grandmother would be horrified. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just like scratching out words and, and looking at words. And I just started playing around with the 10 commandments and, you know, taking out piece by piece. And that's, you know, what I was left with. That was the way my brain was working that night. And I was like, ain't that some crap? Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's really, that's really all we got. That's it.
0: And I love how that's just juxtaposed in the book with this um this scene of kind of the female sexual awakening with the church camp counselor who's like smoking joints and listening to soup. It's so amazing. Thank you. So what what was your background? Um it, was it what you were you do you consider yourself from like a very religious family? Um it, it's like we
1: were in some ways religious and in some ways not mm-hmm. uh my mom uh my mom was raised catholic and then she uh found herself interested in the seventh day adventist church when she was in uh law school and um she brought that to my parents marriage so i was in the beginning raised in the the Seventh Day Adventist Church with you. If you don't know anything about it, um, it, it might. Yeah, I don't really. Yeah, it might give Catholicism a run for its money <laughs> in terms of, in terms of rules. There's there's less pomp and circumstance, but um, there's there are a lot of there are a lot of regulations. Essentially, you go to church on Saturday, hence the Seventh Day Adventist part. So you go to church on Saturday instead of Sunday. Um, And you keep the Sabbath in that, you know, from the time that the sun goes down on Friday to when the sun goes down on Saturday, like, you do nothing but think about Jesus. Like, you can't Mm -hmm. watch TV. We didn't listen to the radio. You know, we didn't ride our bikes outside. It was just, like, Jesus time. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you couldn't wear nail polish. You couldn't wear jewelry. I remember uh, how big it was when I just decided I was going to get my ears pierced. And then how I had to take them out when I went back to school. Um, and it was, you know, it was really just this tight, rigid, uh, set of beliefs and, and behaviors that really didn't allow for any flexibility. And it, you know, that standard fire and brimstone garbage where it was like, well, if you wear nail polish, then you're going to have to go to jail. Uh, and, and that's just the way it is. And the thing that, you know, sort of brought me back to that, that experience of the, the church camp was just like you know, you put all of these, all of these like rules on, on kids and they're gonna, you know, they're gonna go in the other direction. You know, you tell them that this is church camp and you're not to drink. You shouldn't have sex. It's like, what does everyone do? They're drinking and having sex. Um, and just, it was interesting to me the way that the, that, that the system that the church tries to set up really just, just backfires on them that, 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 young people just really collapse under the weight of that of that pressure to to be saved in a lot of ways. Uh so that that was really, you know, most definitely made an impact on me as I was growing up and I think a lot of behaviors in my early 20s that's
0: awesome. Were yeah. um is are, are members of your family still active in that church? No. Yeah.
1: That no, we all we all defected. <laughs> <laughs> but I still actually went to, I went to Seventh-day Adventist schools all the way from grade school up to high school graduation. So even though we had stopped going to church, I still finished high school at a Seventh-day Adventist school, which was interesting to say the least. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it occurred to me while you were saying that, um, I I've read a couple Interviews with you, where you've talked about how much you like how liberating you find like the restriction of poetic form mm-hmm. um and and when you were talking about the rigidity of the the church's tenets, it kind of that that connection popped to mind. I wondered if if that meant anything to you
1: no i think it to- I think it totally does um, i I find that a lot of what I do, you know, on paper and off paper, is really just in response to to boxes that people are trying to put me in. And um, I I like the box that poetic forms, uh, you know, I like the box that that they put me in. It's like there are all these walls and 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 boundaries. And how can I, you know, play off of those boundaries and restrictions and what can I make that feels contemporary and new from all of these, these dead white guys? I like, I like bouncing, you know, fighting against those, those edges and and making something that feels like me out of that. I, I definitely think there's a connection there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's super interesting. And I'm sure, um. If you wouldn't mind kind of talking about that, how that pertains to the book, um, to somebody who doesn't know anything really about poetic forms, like, you know, what are what are you kind of working with in this book?
1: Yeah. It's, um, not people, not many people lo- know a lot about okay, poetic nice. forms, so don't feel bad about that. And, and i'm about to say some really nerdy stuff. No, that's so just we love that stuff me for a minute. That's the point. <laughs> I uh, i've always i've always worked with traditional forms where there's some sort of um regular meter or rhythm or rhyme scheme or you know a whole like prescribed thing to follow like a sonnet and uh I've always worked in that. And when I started working on this book where it really became clear that this was going to be sort of this larger book length project, I was like, how can I keep the restrictions of form that make me comfortable as a writer, but not like, you know, produce a whole book that's just sort of monotone, like it's just got the same rhythm. It's got the same rhymes happening throughout. It's like, I can't, nobody's going to want to read that. For 50 pages, you know, how, how can I make this happen and still, you know, still feel comfortable in that box that I desperately need. And I was like, okay, well, let's just try this. And this was the worst decision that I'd ever made in terms of the process of writing this. I was like, okay, what you're going to do is you're just going to take prescribed forms, these traditional forms, and then just like mash them up with other forms to kind of keep the energy and momentum going. So you know, I started out the book in um, in in a regular sort of four or five beat line, and then that morphs into the five beat line of the sonnet part that comes when Mary, Jesus's mother, is talking, and then it sort of morphs from there into the Sestina portion, which is the story about church camp and the guy uh, smoking the joint, listening to Snoop. And then that morphs into something else and that turns into something else. So I wasn't just relying on one structure throughout the whole thing, but a, a number of different structures and, you know, really allowing myself to let the content of what I was saying fuel the choice uh, for the use of a particular form you know it was like if I wanted something narrative if I wanted something that felt story like then I needed something like the Sestina portion where there's no rhyme scheme but you'll see these six words repeating over and over again and that creates the sort of you know energy of of telling a story, and I just kind of let my ear guide me in terms of those those formal choices and it it ended up in the end being a lot of fun to try to mash all these things up together. It was a huge pain in the butt while I was doing it, but um it was it was it was really rewarding in the end, and you know I, I hope that it's created something that feels you know um, lively and energetic and, you know, like it's constantly filled with energy and different kinds of
0: energy. Yeah. I think, I think that absolutely is true. Um, and you know, what you're talking about with the repetition of words, the words that you choose, like, or the words that are repeated. Um, I, I really glommed onto that at the end, you know, levitate and spark, like these very sort of, um, dynamic words, like something is some kind of like, metamorphosis is happening or something i
1: uh i really regretted that choice of levitate for a really long time like that's a lot of times to say the word levitate (laughs) over and over and then it feels kind of strange in my mouth when i say it you're like is
0: this even a word i don't know if i exactly
1: (laughs) like damn it why did you choose levitate but um you know i i i liked the I like the way that I could try to fit that word in, you know, to the sentences in different kinds of ways. And, um, you know, like you said, I really wanted to create something that felt kind of like, you know, chaotic and like it was about to take off and morph into something. And in and the repetition, you know, of those words in that part of the book, it was the repetition that really fueled that metamorphosis, if you want to call it
0: that. Yeah. because he kind of comes up later and i just my eyes just glazed across one of those pages um where where in the current presidential administration were you writing you know had you started this before the election
1: i started it before um i it it was starting to sh- take shape when we realized that this trump thing was actually like it was legitimate, you know, like Mm -hmm. back in the eighties, like Trump was going to run for president, but it was like Ross Perot. It was just this rich white guy is going to run for president, but you know, the politicians will actually take those offices and, you know, around like, you know, at some point in, uh, in late 2015, you know, after I'd had that moment with, with Eileen at the reading in Lisbon, um, it started becoming pretty clear that Donald Trump was going to run for president. Uh, So a lot of it happened in those early stages leading up to the election. uh, And then the, you know, that that first year after the fact, when I mean, it was like the entire world just erupted there was no way that he wasn't going to get in the book he actually was in the book more and he needed to come out because he doesn't deserve that much attention
0: well that's the hard thing yeah i mean i i think that's a real struggle it's like this is i mean obviously as an artist you're responding to the world around you and the way that it affects you and this is certainly an instance of that but also fuck this guy (laughs) yeah no absolutely i
1: mean fuck this guy fuck him. So far away that he just disintegrates Into a big pile of fuck you um, But but You know it was It was one of those things And I, I did really struggle with it Where it was like you know am I going to let him Into this world I'm creating He's working so hard to silence women You know and I'm going to allow him space In this in this sort of um, You know something that was trying to really Show the strengths of women Why would I let this fuck face into it And And it was like, it was like I had to, it's like I had to call him out for a minute. I couldn't just, I couldn't just let him slide. You know, I couldn't just, I couldn't just let him get away with it. I had to, I had to put my finger in his face um, and, and really give it to him and, and, you know, shut him down on paper in a way that I could, I can't shut him down in real life. And I think I needed to allow myself the space to do that, to get to the later portions of the book.
0: Yeah. Can you, can you expand more on that? I love that idea.
1: Like yeah, that, I, that
0: is kind of a passage to the rest of it. Oh yeah. I, I,
1: you know, there, there are a bunch of moments in here where I sort of, you know, wrote something and then was like, oh shit, now I got to say something else. And, <laughs> you know, that was, that was really, that was really one of those moments. And, you know, just, just, Thinking about you know the 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 darkness that had fallen you know over over the country um, just sort of kept me going from there, and then that took me to the place where there's that one moment. Uh, that's when I realized that breath was right, and that took me to another space where I was thinking about you know all of these crazy white people and their guns, and that took me into a different place. And none of that would have happened. If I hadn't have opened the door just a minute to let myself talk about Trump, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't have gotten there. I wouldn't have gotten to the place where I say that line: um, "A man standing his ground, shotgun in hand, shooting at cans like they're an unkindness of ravens." Like I wouldn't have gotten to those mm-hmm. moments if I hadn't allowed myself the space to fight with Trump earlier in the book.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think that's you know, I, there's you know, I guess not a right and a wrong way to do it, but I think I think that's the that's the right-ish instinct, like you have to, you have to grapple with it.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think that, and and I I did spend a lot of time thinking about it after the fact, I I was like, is this the right thing? Is this the wrong thing to do? You know, I don't, I don't want to give this man any, any more presence than, than he already has. But, you know, again, going back to that idea of saying the things that I, that I needed to say, and the things that I wanted to say, I, I decided that it was, it might, you know, whether it was right or wrong, I don't know, but it was, it was real, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it, was, it was true to, to those moments that, you know, that I was, that I was recreating and, and, and writing, you know, writing in and to, to not allow myself the space to challenge him. Um, I think in the end would have been a disservice to, to myself.
0: Yeah. Uh, what was kind of like you know your sort of emotional temperature when you were when you were working on this it's it's uh it seems like at, at times it could have been a lot of fun to write at times it could have been very difficult to write or very painful to write yeah
1: i should i should let my friends answer that question <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was a crazy person for a while even crazier than usual um i it was i mean it was all over the place and i, I think i think that the book is a pretty good representation of the ups and downs of my, of my moods as I was going through the process of, of writing it. You know, there were, there were moments of just complete sheer joy, you know, where I was having more fun than I had ever had on the page. You know, I was really allowing myself to, Make the formal choices that I wanted. I was allowing my voice to be, you know, sort of rugged and uncensored. And I mean, and it, it, you know, in those moments was just a blast. In in other moments was was extraordinarily painful. Um, it took me a really long time to allow myself to um, to really. And I'm actually choking up as I'm talking about it. But it took me a long time to allow myself to write the portion uh, where I mentioned that experience that I had in the club, um, Mm -hmm. with that particular man. Uh, and it was really painful to, to go back and, and remember that moment and, and to, you know, put it down on paper, which always feels like it has a kind of permanence and, you know, and, and bring those moments of darkness, you know, back into my, you know, that, that current moment that I was living was, was really, really hard. Um, And it it was, it was up and down, you know, some nights I was having a really great time and I felt like I was, you know, kicking butt and, you know, giving women strength and I'm listening to like Foxy Brown and I'm feeling it and it's like, you know, dance party in my apartment and, you know, and then other nights I would write and then I would cry for three hours, you know, after I, after I put the pen away, it was, it was, it was by far the most fun and the most difficult work that i that i've ever done and um honestly you know exhausting in ways that i wasn't sure i could ever be be exhausted whatever the next project is is really so far down the line that nobody should ask me about <laughs> it I'm, I'm not i'm i'm honestly like i'm not sure that i have anything right, else right.
0: yeah do you have um do you have a problem in those moments uh keeping yourself at the page?
1: Yeah, yeah, I do. Um I I'm really great at like avoidance uh, techniques mm-hmm. and, and distractions. You know, if I start to have a feeling or remember something that I don't want to remember, that's time to like clean the closet right. and move furniture. And um and it was hard. It was hard to to, you know, make myself physically sit with, with those, you know, memories, it was, it was hard to, it was hard to hold the pen, you know, and, and, and put it down. Like, you know, my arms would shake and my eyes would start to, would start to well up. Um, but I, but I, you know, again, going back to that idea of like of the challenge of it, I was like challenging myself to do it and trying to remind myself that I had the that I did have the the strength to do it and I, I did have the agency and there there is power in my voice. And you know, once I would remind myself of that, it was like, okay, this is this is gonna be okay. You can you can you can put this down on paper that is that that brings it back to your memory, but it doesn't put you back necessarily in that specific moment of vulnerability. Like you're safe now. Everything right. is fine. Um, but it no, it was a it it was a struggle that I don't think I was really prepared for. It's um, probably
0: better that you weren't prepared for it, maybe.
1: <laughs> most most <laughs> definitely. But it, it took a long time to get to get those to get those, you know, pretty brutal moments down.
0: Right. Did it did it afterward then feel like you because I mean, in a in a in a very real sense, I guess it also puts you in a different kind of control over that narrative. Yeah, yeah. for yourself.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. It it you know it allowed me to, and this sounds weird, but to sort of claim that experience and you know take ownership of it. And I don't mean like take responsibility for it. I right. mean just acknowledging that it happened and you know thinking about where I was in that moment and where I am now, it, it, you know, my, my ability to bounce back after moments, you know, when someone assaults you in a club or moments where you're minding your own business at a gas station, you know, when you're harassed, it's, it's, you know, allowing yourself to be like, okay, yeah, this happens. And I'm still, I'm still fucking here, you know, and this, this happens on a weekly basis and I'm still here. Like, look at what, we women are, are able to do in the face of this, you know, constant danger, really. And, um, you know, I, I was able to find a, to find a, I'm using the word strength so many times, it's really starting to bother me. I'm about to go get the thesaurus, uh, but, uh, you know, allowed me to, to find, to find strength in those moments that were really, that were really terrifying at the time.
0: Hey, WMFA listeners, I'm trying something new this season. Starting this month, WMFA will be releasing new episodes every Wednesday. In between guests, I'll be sharing mini-episodes about issues we face in our work and creative lives. Often, the episode topic will be something I'm dealing with, or something that's just come up with a guest, or because I like to think of us all as a creative community, something you've requested. So check your feed next Wednesday, September 19th, for the first mini-episode, On Fear. And if there's a creative challenge or concept you want to hear about on a future episode, Email hello at wmfapodcast.com or leave a message at 347-685-4836. You know, the body is obviously such a prominent subject in the book. And, you know, when you talk about Black womanhood, like, I, of course, can't fully know what you're talking about. But, you know, like, what are you... now that you look at it do you feel like there was a kind of physical statement that you were trying to make or a statement about physicality your physicality yeah
1: Yeah, definitely
0: I um let's see it's it's like
1: oh my god where do I begin I know
0: yeah it's I'm like talking just talk about the core kernel of your identity if you don't mind yeah yeah yeah
1: I mean you know it's we we walk around in these we walk around in these bodies right there there are bodies and um you know when you're a woman those your body is constantly being objectified and it's it's like it's people think that it's just open you know for their use and enjoyment they take advantage of that and 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 you're left sort of feeling like nothing and when you're a minority like for some reason you're even more like it's like well if you're black, it's like men, white men think that somehow it's you deserve to be, you know, ripped open even more like you're even more objectified in some way. And um, and living living in Florida is as the tide started to turn really ugly. Uh, I just kept having these moments where where men were saying something to me and, and saying something to me that was that was not just gendered, but, you know, dependent on my on my race. Um, And and I was just like, I have to reclaim my body. And that sounds cliche at this point, you know, but it's it's true. It's you know, this this body isn't out here for your enjoyment and your approval. You know, just because I have tits doesn't mean you get to talk about my tits at a gas station
0: in a way that like also like conveys that they think they're they clearly think they're complimenting you.
1: Oh, yeah. Like somehow that you're going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, he said something about my tits. My tits might actually look pretty good. Right. It's like, what is that? I don't even I don't even understand that kind of mindset. But um, it's you know, I, I move I move throughout the world feeling, you know, super visible, not just because of the color of my skin, but also you know, the fact that I'm, I mean, I'm six feet tall when I'm not wearing shoes.
0: So am I. So, like,
1: so you know what I'm saying. I feel it's, your pain about that. You know, it, it's like, I can't go anywhere without people asking me if I play basketball. It's like, first of all, I'm almost 39. Like, I don't play basketball <laughs> anymore. And second of all, it's, it's just, it's, people think that it's always a, a topic of conversation when, you know, when your body looks a certain way or you have a kind of stature. It's like, that gives them you know, the, the opportunity to somehow comment on it. And, and I just, I'm, I'm really sick and tired of that. And I, I wanted to, I knew that I wanted to really focus on, on the body, on the female body, you know, in this book, that I kept wanting to bring that up over and over again because I needed to, I needed to take ownership of the body. I needed to take that back. Um, I think I had kind of lost that along the way as I, as I grew up and, um, you know, moved through relationships and, and all that stuff. And it was, it was just time for me to be like, yeah, this is my body and I'm going to talk about it. I'm now going to talk about it. This is not a space for you to contemplate and compliment and blah 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 like this is my time to talk about my body i own this this is me this is not for you
0: yeah it's it's almost like it maybe in the in the language and tone of the book kind of like an exorcism oh yeah
1: yeah most definitely most definitely it's it's like um it's like it's you know it's like men go out of their way to make you aware of the fact that you're a woman um, you know, it's like again, like hey, you know, you've got tits, so I'm going to talk about them, and it's it's just like, okay, well, if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna keep reminding me that I'm female, I'm just gonna be female and and use the the you know the strength and the and the power that that, that femininity gives you. Um, it's just it's 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 really you know I'm not trying to like release a battle cry or anything, but it's it's like time for us to take it back you know it, i'm just really i'm just really fed up with with people thinking that that your body is just a topic of of conversation you know like the weather it's like oh man it's humid today you know oh man you got some nice legs no stop it it was something that i was really thinking about um while i was writing the book and and i realized that it was something that i needed to focus on
0: do you um is there a similar process like you know You'll hear fiction writers talk about kind of seeing a theme emerge as they're drafting and then kind of like, so maybe, you know, it comes out subconsciously, but then you tease it out a little bit more consciously. Is that part of your process?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> right. When yeah. I'm Like, not even a little bit. Like, I don't know anything that I'm saying. Um, and uh, can't really, can't really find, you know, find the, the what... Um, you know, find the content, and until I go back and reread what I've done, and you know, talk to friends about it and stuff like that. Uh, but no, when I'm writing, I I have, I have no idea what I'm doing, and I, and I think theme wise, and I, I think that if I did, um, that I don't think that would turn out real well. Like if it was like, okay, well you you know, it's like okay, the theme of this book is right. is womanhood, then I would just you know, lock up under the pressure of that. You know, that that seems like an assignment. You know, write an essay about X. I I don't know that I could do that. I I have to I have to let those things come out and then and then tease them out or reshape them as I go back. I I I I don't really know how to work any other way.
0: Right. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about your process in as much as you you feel like you know what it is. You know, I, I I read in a couple of interviews with you that you um you don't necessarily write every day. Um you don't have a kind of like that sort of approach to it.
1: No, I don't I you know, more power to the people who can write every day. And but it's just it's not gonna happen over here at this house. Like it's 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 just not gonna happen. I, you know, I maybe I don't have that kind of that kind of dedication. i d I'm not sure, but I just, my brain doesn't work that way. So I, I allow myself the space of waiting for the moments of, um, you know, of, okay, I want to write. I, I allow myself the the freedom to do it that way. Uh, I mean, maybe, you know, I allow myself that freedom because I know that sooner or later it's going to be time to write. Like I'm going to get the urge to do it. It's not like eight months are going to go by, um, but I just don't force, I don't force myself to do it every day. That just, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't lead to, to, to good work. Um, so I just, you know, I just allow myself to 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 come and go and um really just you know ride those waves of energy that you get when you're composing like it's you know it's feverish and it's it's you know days and days in a row when you're not talking to anyone or returning texts and you know you haven't eaten anything and then sometimes it's like once a week mm-hmm. um yeah so it's it's it just kind of depends on depends on where i'm at um but when i when i start working i'm in it for long amounts of time like there's no half an hour worth of writing it's like if I start writing that's what I'm going to do for the next six hours oh wow uh, which really gets in the way of sleep um, sure <laughs> but, uh, but no it's like it's like I don't I don't do the regular thing but once I get in it I'm I'm in it for for a long time I'm not someone who can write for a short stretch uh, I'll just keep going and going oftentimes until I just have to be like you have to I mean you have to go to bed it's, right it's like four o'clock in the morning this is absurd Um, so that's, that's, that's the way that the, the energy kind of, kind of works for me. Um, you know, and like I said, like I said a minute ago, I, I, I really just, I really just sort of allow my brain to wander and allowed my brain to wander more with this book than I ever had in the past. It was like, okay, this is what I'm thinking about. And then I'm going to make an Erica leap to something that's like tangentially related. And that's okay. I didn't, I didn't try to censor you know, to censor those moves. Um, and, in the thing I, you know, that keep, that kept me tethered again, were the, you know, were the structures and the forms I, um, you know, that gave me somewhere to sort of, you know, put my roots down and, and allowed me to, to be as sort of imaginative or, or spastic from there. Uh, if that makes sense, really, um, Form and structure and and rhythm are the things that I have in mind when I'm writing. The rest of the stuff is just, you know, kind of like, I'm sort of at the whim of the rest of the stuff. I I feel like I'm in control of those sort of structural elements.
0: Are you composing out loud a lot?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is why I no longer write in public spaces, (laughs) um, because it's not okay. Um, I, I talk a lot. Um, most, because you just, I mean, stuff sounds different in the air than it does in your head. Oh, of course. Um, so I, you know, so I talk out loud while I'm writing and I also, and this is like cruel and unusual punishment, but while I'm writing, I'll voice record on my phone. I'll voice record myself, like reading a stanza, um, in listening to that recording is always really, really painful because the sound of my voice is, is excruciating, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but i i have to do it i i can't listen to it in my own in my own it like in my mental voice i have to hear it in my actual my actual physical voice so i have to i need to be in like the space of my own home because otherwise people are gonna people are gonna call nine one one, and i'll either get arrested or like taken to the hospital it's definitely not a community project
0: Yeah, you had said this great thing in an interview that I read about um, the safety of writing at home and knowing your surroundings and that letting you be more vulnerable in the work. And that's not something I had ever really thought about. But now I'm thinking about it a lot. And it it definitely rings true for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's. It's I didn't it was one of those, you know, you're doing an interview and you don't even realize like what you're saying right. and then you're like,
0: oh that's I, true. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like, no, that's totally true. And it's so interesting to me because, you know, thinking about that idea of, of writing at home providing a kind of you know, a kind of security and I think back about writing this book. I wrote probably a solid three quarters of this book in my bed. Mm. It's the safest place in my in my apartment. You know, it's that's where I feel the most secure. You know, we've got the blankets, and my dog is hanging out at the end of the bed, and, and it, it feels quiet and and safe. And I think it's not a coincidence that I I wrote most of this um, while I was in the safety of that really specific space. It was like, okay, this is really. Really hard to talk about. Like, I can't, I can't subject myself to this content anymore. Oh, but I'm in the coziness of my bed, and like, the sheets are nice and warm, so, so everything's okay. Uh, I I think that I, I think that I needed that sense of 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 comfort while I was working on this.
0: It's so funny talking to so many writers about all these different idiosyncrasies and their processes, and how much it kind of all just always comes back to like, do literally whatever you need to do to get it done.
1: Yeah, <laughs> 100%. I, I feel like, you know, we all need our, we all need our quirks and our, our own weird little, little habits. Um, you know, and if that, I, I tell my students, it's like, if that works for you, then, then you do that, right? If that's what's getting you the, if that's getting you to the stuff that you want to say, you know, by all means, wear the same shirt all the time. Or, you know, like, you know, Turn the lights off, or whatever works for you works for you. Um, those are those are the habits that that you need to to create what you want to create. As, as weird as they may be, you know, you're you're all snuggled in your bed trying to balance a legal pad while your voice was recording yourself. It's like that's what has to happen, so it's totally fine.
0: Do you uh, do you get a lot of out of teaching in terms of your own writing?
1: Oh yeah, I mean I. It's it's, as much as the as much as the young ones can drive you crazy over the course of a semester, uh, you know, watching them, watching them discover what poetry can do and and how it's a space for their voices and in writing what they, you know, what they come up with, reading what they come up with, rather. And, um, you know, watching the ideas and the images really develop over the course you know, of a fall or spring is so inspiring to me. It's just they're just all on these, you know, these sort of moments of of discovery and in realizations. And I, I I remember that the newness of of poetry and of writing, and that that always makes me want to want to do the work. It makes me want to get back in the trenches, you know, with them. And a lot of times, I uh, a lot of times I find myself coming home and writing on the days that I have taught a workshop, you know, it's like, okay, I was just in this, I was just in this small seminar room with, with these 10 kids and you know, the energy was really going and, and watching them create makes me want to do it too.
0: Yeah. It's nice to be reminded that it can be fun.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's like the first thing that I tell my students, you know, on day one of the semester, if I were, if I weren't on sabbatical, I would have said it like five times yesterday is, you know, like this is, this is fun. If you're not having fun at some point in the process, then, then stop, you know, it's, it's painful at times, but it has to give you some joy. Um, and it can, if you, if you just allow yourself to, if you allow yourself to do it, sort of no holds barred and, and you know, with, without censoring yourself, if you just allow yourself to be you on paper, you can find that joy.
0: Is that something um, that you've kind of had to, to grow into and, you know, how, how had you approached that idea of not censoring yourself? You know, I think we maybe touched on it earlier when you mentioned about revisiting that club scene and kind of making yourself stay in that place.
1: Yeah, I, I, it's funny because it's so funny because you have like certain ideas of yourself as a writer and then you realize that that was just not the case. <laughs> <laughs> I I always thought that I always thought that I was, you know, that I was sort of ballsy and gutsy as a writer. You know, I always thought that I was sort of pushing the envelope and, and saying things that people didn't want to say. And I think that was true. At times, but when I'm honest with myself and I think about it, you know, I was still really like checking what I was saying. You know, I would have a thought and it would be like, mm, maybe that's a little too much. Let's just water that down just a bit. Like I, as much as I thought that I was, you know, pushing the boundaries or, or allowing myself to be really honest, I, I I still wasn't. I was still, I was in too much control of it, if, if that makes sense. That really and,
0: makes sense. Yeah.
1: You know, and, and this time around, I just really, you know, I was, it's like, I had to acknowledge the fact that I didn't have any control over what was happening, you know, when I was, when I was writing, when I was writing the book and, I, you know, and really, I guess that was, that was a reflection of the way that I was feeling, you know, out in the world, outside of my bed in my apartment was that I, I mean, I had no control, in this political, social, sexual environment, you know, that we're living in as much as I wanted to. Again, I had to like come to terms with that vulnerability. And, um, and I think, I think that that somehow pushed me towards, you know, just being like, okay, this is, this is just unedited stuff. That's that's just coming out of me. And, And there was a kind of truth to it. I think that I hadn't really experienced before, even though I'd been, you know, straight up autobiographical on the page and explicit before this, this time was different. Um, and, and I, I gave, I, I made that, I made that censor you know, voice that I have, I made it get out. And, and I was like, For real this time, if you want to say something, you're going to say it. And if it doesn't fit the form that you're working with, fuck it. Find a different form. Like, like the, the most important thing that you can do for yourself and for this book is to, is to be, is to be out there, you know, completely exposed, just allowing yourself to move with the, you know, with the turns of your, of your experiences and your imagination. Like that, that's the, that was the most important thing that I had to do and you know one day I just I just gave up the fight I gave up that control and i let I let me come out like for real <laughs> like for real this time. It was pretend in the past, but but now now I actually feel like I can say that that this book is you know one hundred percent honest and and you know honest not in the terms of like being autobiographical like it is in some parts, but just honest about the experience or my experience or my interpretations of an experience of being a black woman. Uh, And and I, I, I'm, I know this is sort of a weird thing to say about yourself, but I'm, I'm proud of myself for, for letting go of, of the leash for just, you know, like, like I'm just, I'm just going to be out there. And if people don't like it, well, they just, you know, they don't have to talk to me again or listen to me or read it. And, I'm just going to do this for me, you know?
0: No, I love that. I'm proud of you, too. That's amazing. It's huge. It's so big. And it's so much, um, I mean, it goes right back to the whole theme of the book. It's like women are taught not to do that. Yeah. It's like, well, don't, no, 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 don't, don't show too much. Don't show the cracks. Don't show the, you know, um, that speaks a lot to me. Um, and I think I'm, I I don't think that I'm as far along in that process. And that's why it is so resonant to me, that idea of like, you know, there's a little bit more that you can go and maybe a lot more that you can go. And, um, it reminds me of this, uh, Natalie Goldberg has this quote in writing down the bones that I love that sometimes when you think you're at the end, you're just at the edge of the beginning. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: One. I, I love that. And I, I believe it 100%. That's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, in the classroom is take a draft that a student has written and take that last line and be like, okay, that's the start of the next poem. Like you have to take where you stopped and you have to start something new from there. Because so many times we get to the end of the draft and we discover what we wanted to say at the end of the draft. And it's like, okay, that's, that's the place where you actually, where you actually need to, you know, need to begin. And I was actually, I was thinking. was thinking the other night um about this quote that that Lucille Clifton this thing that Lucille Clifton said um and it it was like I don't write from what I know I write from what I wonder uh that was really important to me because I think the idea of wonder um and and being in that sort of like looser space I guess um you know, seemed like an open door for not censoring myself, not checking myself, not being like, does this make sense? You know, not shutting myself down. It was like, this is, this is a space where I can experiment and, you know, just say whatever occurs to me at, at any given moment and, and live in those moments of, you know, of wonder where reality is, is, is sometimes a little hazy. Um, and I, would never really experienced writing in that way, in that way before. I don't think it was, it's, I, I, I it's, it makes me nervous to think about how I could kind of keep it up, you know, it's like, cause all I want to do is really run and hide. But, um, you know, I think it was really an important to just dis- an important discovery. Um, you know, thinking of pushing yourself past the ending that you found to to something else because there's always that something else.
0: Absolutely. I think that's a great note to wrap up on. I just, the last thing I want to ask you is a question that I ask everybody at the end of our conversations, uh, which is what creative satisfaction looks like to you.
1: Oh boy. What creative satisfaction
0: looks like to me?
1: Um... that's a tough one. (laughs) I'm struggling with this. Um, I think for me, the satisfaction is, I can't find a less cheesy way to say this, but, um, knowing that I've somehow been true to myself or true to the intent of what I was trying to do. um, You know, knowing that I pushed myself as far as I could push myself and that I gave it, you know, 100 percent that I just put it all on the table, like seeing that from myself is is probably the most satisfaction that I get as a writer, Um, you know, really seeing that I that I just opened myself up and in that way and in really allowed myself to explore things that are difficult and challenging and painful. Uh, that's, that's where I find the satisfaction in writing. Like I've got to, it, again, I think it sounds kind of, kind of cheesy and maybe a little trite, but I've, I have to learn something from myself, uh, when I'm writing, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to learn something from myself and I have to learn something about myself. And when I feel like I've done that, that's, that satisfaction for me.
0: Well, this has been so much fun. Thank you for uh, being so open and honest and awesome to talk to. Thank
1: you. This was really fun. I just feel like I want to be like, Hey, call me tomorrow.
0: I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Today's conversation was edited by Phoebe Wang and produced by Courtney Ballastier. You'll find links to some of the things we talked about at WMFAPodcast.com. Have a question or an author you'd love to hear on the show? Email me at hello at WMFAPodcast.com. And find me on Twitter and Instagram at CFBalestier. And writers need feedback. If you're enjoying the show, please take a second to write a review on iTunes. The WMFA logo was created by Unsold Studio, and the theme music is Jazz Dancer by Double Winter. Find them at doublewinter.bandcamp.com. WMFA is made in Detroit by Courtney Ballastier LLC. All rights reserved.